And you'll see as we get into the sermon how that connects with our theme of prayer. You probably already have noticed, seen how it connects with our, our theme of prayer here. Uh, and so our, our text today is 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. And uh, before we read it, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your word to us, your promises to us, and your just revealing of yourself to us that you are good and that you invite us to pray to you, to come to you for help in every need and every hour and for our greatest needs, our littlest needs, all of it, to bring it to you as our Lord and our God and our Savior. And uh, assure our hearts of this. Give us confidence, faith in you and your goodness that we may come to you with our every need. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so reading out loud here, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed, a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And these words were written from the Apostle Paul to the man Timothy. And Timothy was a, a disciple of Paul. Paul had discipled him since his youth. And now Timothy had become a trusted ministry partner. And in, in earlier in chapter 1, uh, we learn why Paul had sent Timothy to Ephesus. This is uh, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 in the same letter. And he says, as I urged you, when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So this was Timothy's mission, his charter, in, in Ephesus, he had a difficult challenge of correcting false teaching and restoring the correct teaching of the gospel that Paul had originally given there. And Paul instructed him to begin with prayer. And he instructed Timothy to focus on what to pray and how to pray. And you look at today, the world around us, there's a lot of confusing thoughts about prayer. It's kind of just anything goes on prayer, <clears throat> and it could be very confusing. Okay, well, what is prayer? Who do you pray to? What do you pray for? Why do you pray? How should you pray? And uh, many answers to these questions seem based on, on myths or speculations or just whatever you want. And uh, 
to kind of show how wild some of these answers have become, I, I had found a story. I come across a story about a seminary, not anyone anywhere near here. <laughs> and I would only loosely call this a seminary anymore, um, but it's a seminary. And they, they had added a new prayer to their weekly chapel service. And they shared a, a tweet that it, during this chapel service, they had confessed their sins against the environment to potted plants. Wrap your head around that for a moment. Um, and then the tweet asked the public, what do you, what do you confess to your potted plants? So <laughs> just to be clear for you and for anyone who might be listening way out there in the internet or whatever, but <laughs> God created plants as just plants. There are no tree spirits. We don't confess our sins to, against the plants to the plants. Sins are to be confessed to God who created all things, include, he's also, including plants. He created the plants. So anything there to be confessed, it's confessed to God, not to the plants. But an example of how wild <laughs> and silly are the world around us become and how confusing and scripture teaches that Christian prayer is grounded in the gospel. Christian prayer is grounded in the gospel. And when Paul instructed Timothy what the congregation was to pray for, he rooted it in God's revealed will and in God's actions in history. And these actions include the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that forgives your sins. And since this is the foundation for prayer, I'm, I'm going to start at the end of the text, verse 7, and I'm going to work my way backwards. So the Bible, as, we, as we've been covering the last several weeks, as should be evident here, the Bible says a lot more about prayer than I can cover in one morning. Uh, but this text here has some really great, solid, objective truths about prayer that we can take to our lives and apply here. And the first thing I want to point out is that you pray in response to what God has done. You pray in response to what God has done. And we're always praying in response to his actions or in response to the knowledge of God. Because if you don't know of this God, if he had not revealed himself, no one would pray to him. So, we are, he reveals, even praying to him involves his revealing of himself to us first. We're always praying in response to him. And all genuine prayer begins with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're going to look here at verses 5 and 6. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ, Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So the mediator of our prayers is Jesus Christ. So when Paul talked about prayer, he, he based the foundation of prayer in these objective claims of God's actions in our history. 
God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to us to be born of the Virgin Mary. He walked and lived among humanity. And Jesus gave Himself as a ransom for all. He was crucified, dead, and buried, and then raised again on the third day. And this is the testimony. It says that the testimony given at the proper time. This was the testimony given of those who witnessed it, who lived through it, who lived with Jesus, walked, ate, heard him, observed, watched this. So this is their testimony. And in verse 7, Paul argued that even his own ministry was testimony to God's actions as well. He says, for this, I was appointed... A preacher and an apostle, I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Because Paul's own apostleship was an act of God, a direct act of God, divine revelation directly to Paul, his, his encounter with God on the road to Damascus. Um, he received these things not because he lived and walked with Jesus, because, but because God directly gave it to him. But he was acknowledged as another apostle by all those who had lived with him. So Paul, even Paul's work as an apostle is a testimony to God's acts in history. So the point is God is the one acting. He sent Jesus to redeem you. He sent the apostle Paul to testify to the truth of the gospel to the Gentiles. And, so, and there's a historical chain in Paul's reasoning here, he's connecting this historical chain between Jesus, God, Jesus, and us. God acted, and then each of you can trace your own conversion back through the church to the apostles to Jesus Christ. And my own spiritual heritage goes back to my grandmother, my, my, I should say my great grandmother. Uh, and my great-grandmother, she was a, a fierce believer. And then my dad used to joke that uh, his grandmother, so my, my, this lady, that she could have wrestled the devil. Like, just so fierce in her faith. And she made sure that all her grandchildren were raised in faith in Jesus Christ. She made sure they got to church and knew the faith. And then that included my father, and he did the same for me. So there's, there's the chain. What she did impacted her grandchildren, and that has come down to me. And the teaching of the church, that, that can be traced all the way back through to the apostles who received it from Jesus Christ. God has acted in history, and, in, and throughout history, he has acted in the hearts of people to bring them to faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And he still does this today. He does this through the means of grace, his spirit working in the word. And these two, word and spirit, working in the sacraments of baptism and communion. And if you've been brought to faith in Christ, then God has acted in your life. And you come to prayer because God has first reached you. Now, all this was, was well known to Timothy. He was Paul's right-hand man, trusted with a big assignment. So, so why was Paul 
reminding him of this again. Well, Paul was giving Timothy the prescription for the Ephesians' problem. The Ephesians, going back to remember that, what, that, that verse from chapter 1 we talked about there, the Ephesians have been led astray by myths and fables and endless genealogies. They were not grounded in reality. And many people in the world around us today are not grounded in reality. And Paul's antidote was to root the Ephesians in the acts of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And see, apart from the gospel, your prayers are in vain. Isaiah 59 verses 1 through 3 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is, is not shortened that it can't save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have, have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. But for those who have faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, God's word says in Ephesians 2.18, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. It's through Jesus, our mediator, who ransomed us by his blood that our prayers are heard. So through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have the full assurance that your prayers are heard. Many things can cause you to doubt your prayers. It can be new teachings, myths, new ideas, um, or just when life is tough, your emotions can betray you. And you might ask, why you keep on praying? Are you really heard do your prayers matter? Are they making any difference at all? And the gospel is your hope against all these doubts. You pray to a, a personal living God who, who loves you more fiercely and passionately than you can imagine. He loved you so much that he came into history and he acted on your behalf. Luke 11, 11 through 13 assures you what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And Romans 8.26 tells us that God's Spirit is with you in your prayers. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Christian prayer is grounded in the gospel. And we always pray in response to what God has done. And we can pray at all is, is because Jesus has saved us and his spirit is in us. 
And so we have that confidence when we pray that we are heard for his sake and that his spirit helps us in our prayers to pray for his will. Furthermore, your prayers join in what God is doing. Your prayers join in what God is doing. We're going to look next here. We're moving backwards, moving up, verses 3 and 4. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And when Paul said, this is good, he was referring to our prayers for all people. And this is very clear because when he explains why it's good, he said that the, the goodness of it is based in God's will that all people be saved. God calls you to pray for all people because his will is that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And this happens for them the same way you were that you were saved. God acts in their hearts through the gospel preached from the word of God. So God, is, he's still on the mission, the same mission that he was on back then. He's still on that same mission today to save people through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And your prayers join in God's mission to save others, to bring others to salvation or to bring salvation to them. And we think about the Lord's Prayer, as we've done many <laughs> over and over this week, you know, these last few weeks. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So your prayers join in the work God is doing to bring his kingdom here. And there is a danger to your heart when you do not pray for God's kingdom. Because there's, there's still that selfishness in our hearts, and, when, and that selfishness, it'll t- turn our, heart, our prayers inward, comp- exclusively inward, to focus on just our own life, our own inner circle. Now, now God wants you to pray for your fears and your heartaches and your concerns. Bring them to him, Absolutely. His word invites you to do exactly that. But we don't come to God as if he's, he's Santa Claus and we're bringing our wish list. And as we're, you know, Christmas is coming up ahead, we're probably at that time of year where we're starting to think about wish lists. And uh, there's a person in my family who every year, they, they say to me this year, this year I want a pony and I want a puppy. <laughs> and a, a little hint, it is not Caleb. Not yet. Uh, but, but speaking of, of Caleb, I remember, I remember a time when he was 18 months old. And, and already at 18 months, he could clearly tell us what he wanted. And he would always, he, and he would do so. And so, you know, mealtimes would always end in the ferocious cries for more grapes. Grapes! <laughs> and uh, though we were, we were training him on more polite ways to request it, you know, grapes, please. And, but for him at that point, it was grapes, peas. And, uh, and, but, but he was very good about the thank you, you know. He would, when he received them, he would always give the very customary gak goo or, or thank you. 
And we would give the usual response back, you're welcome. And he would respond back again, gaku. And this could, this could repeat quite a while. This could go on. <laughs> um, but God calls you to pray for more than your daily bread or daily grapes. Pray for your daily bread, absolutely. But pray for everyone's daily bread. You're to pray for more than just your own will, to pray for God's will. Because it can be tempting to pray only for your, the protection of yourself and your own circle. To, to just pray, to, to, to isolate yourself from the evils of the world around you. Or, or to pray that others would just, just conform to acceptable behavior and stop bothering you, right? But call, God calls you to pray for a lot more than conformity. He calls you to pray for transformation, to pray that all men, all people would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Inner transformation that only God can do. And God also calls you to pray for their physical welfare, not just their spiritual welfare. Um, when Israel was in exile in Babylon, and, and they were surrounded by a pagan society that was just hostile to faith in God in every way. And when they were there, God gave them a command through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29.7. And he says this, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare so you are called to pray for the welfare of all people but this verse help, helps keep it realistic in scope right because because no one can pray specific prayers for all 7.5 and rising billion people around the world you can't pray for every one of them by name right <laughs> but you can pray for where you are. And uh, in John Stone Street's book, a, a Practical Guide to Culture, he tells the story of Sophie and Hans Scholl. And Hans and Sophie were university students in Munich, Germany during the Second World War. And in 1942, they joined an underground movement called the White Rose, and they helped distribute anti-Nazi pamphlets around the, the campus in the town. And in 1943, they were arrested and executed for treason against the state. Their decision to act came from their Christian faith. Their heart echoed the, these words of of another Christian advocate, contemporary of theirs in Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he said this, we are Christians and we are Germans, therefore we are responsible for Germany. And both of them spoke this, believed this, and lived that. And you have a place and an identity that is your Germany. You are called to pray for the welfare of Shakopee and of Minnesota 
and of America, for the well-being of their people and of their leaders, and for their salvation, that they would come to the knowledge of the truth. And when you pray in accordance with God's will, you pray for His kingdom to come. You join God in His mission to save all people and redeem the world. And God listens and responds to your prayers. Your prayers serve God's kingdom, and they make a difference to your neighbor. Which brings us to our, our third point here. Your prayers change you and the world. Your prayers change you and the world. The verses, all these verses in 1 Timothy chapter 2 teach you how to pray and they teach you what your prayers do as your prayers are grounded in the gospel, joining in God's mission, your prayers change you and the world. And we're going to look now at verses 1 and 2. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Paul started by listing four types of prayers the congregation is to make for all people. And these are both how they are to pray, how we are to pray, but also what we are to pray for. And, and the quiet and godly life is not what the ultimate end of what we're praying for. That, that is a result of praying for all people because we're praying that they would have, that all people, not just, the, not just our congregation, but all people would know the peace of God. So that, that is the byproduct, the result of these prayers for all people and kings and authorities. So you're called to pray that for God to provide for all people and for him to intervene on their behalf. That's, that's the supplications and intercessions. So you can think of supplications as supply, that he would supply their every need, his provision, his providence. And intercession, that's, that's, that's an intervention. <laughs> I am interceding for someone else's problem and their need. God, would you intervene and change this? So God called, you're called to pray to God that he would provide for all people and intervene on their behalf. And you're also called to thank God for all people. There's a, think about that for a minute. That is a challenge, right? Wait, what? I'm supposed to thank God for all people? To thank God for the person who betrayed me? To thank God for the crooked manager or the crooked politician? Yes, these are the people God, God, God desires to save. And so you pray that God provides for them, that he intervenes in their life, and that they see his love for them, and that they come to the knowledge of the truth so that they turn in faith from selfishness to godliness. And prayer, these types of prayers that transform you, Prayer transforms you when it is grounded in the gospel 
and it is for God's kingdom. Because as you pray for the things of God's kingdom, you let go of your own way. You are aligning your, your will with God's will. And also in prayer, God promises to guard your heart. We know Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And also Jude verse 20 teaches that we pray in the Spirit, as we've been hearing over and over. The Holy Spirit dwells in us by faith, comforts our fears, strengthens our courage, and assures us of all God's promises from His Word. So when we pray the will of God, His Spirit is, is transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. So we become our more and more like Him. So your prayers change, your prayers change you when you pray grounded in the gospel and for God's kingdom. But your prayers also change the world around you. Listen to what Paul said when he asked believers to pray for him and for the mission. 2 Corinthians 1.11, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. And Philippians 1.19, for I know, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul was talking about a very practical deliverance from prison and chains. That's what, that was the context. That's the context there. It's very practical, <laughs> earthly deliverance he's talking about. Colossians 4.3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. God opens up opportunities to share the gospel that we, that we would never have planned for and couldn't have made on our own. And uh, I hadn't planned this in my uh, scripture, but I am going to share a story of that happening because I, um, I had just started, their junior year of high school, I just started at Heritage Christian Academy, just moved and transferred there, and I was able to join them on a, on a high school mission trip to Mexico. We, we, we went down to Aguas Calientes, and then we went over to a town called Juarez, uh, where the Shirkoks were missionaries. And it was a, the, whole, the plan was it would be a school-to-school -school exchange. That we, um, um, so we, we could come to the schools in the name of doing a cultural exchange, but all our skits and dramas and songs were gospel presentations. And we had one day where our plan for that day, our visit that day, was canceled. And so we're sitting downtown, and we were, what are we supposed to do, God? What are we supposed to do with this time and this day? And we just felt led to just, just hang out in the downtown square and just interact, just 
you know, not offer anything, just receive, just be present with the people and their culture. Um, and not too many of us spoke Spanish or any Spanish, but we did have one student in my class. She had, had Spanish since very young, so she was pretty much fluent. Um, and she was chatting with some people, and there, and, and we're, most of us were just listening in the square, listening to the, the bands, because um, they had a couple mariachi bands with the, with the trumpets and the, and the guitars playing there, the four-man bands there. And um, we're just listening, just enjoying being there. But she had somehow, and the, well, I shouldn't say somehow, this is a God meeting, a, a divine appointment, because she happened to meet a camera crew from a, look, from a national Mexican TV network, news network, and was talking with them, and they found out what, that we we're this American school here visiting the town cultural exchange, and they, there, the, the camera crew's prompting said, can we come tomorrow to your, your next cultural exchange visit and film it and network it? Can, can we do, could we come and do that and, and, and cover it? Well, yeah, um, yes, yes, you can. <laughs> so here, here, God, you know, that God may open us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. There was a door. We, we would never have ranged, never even sought. We would never have occurred to us to say, how can we get on National Mexican News Network? That never would have even crossed our minds to, to be that ambitious, <laughs> that big. And here it is, it canceled. Well, let's just, you know, our plans are canceled. Let's wait on God, let's just be here. We don't have to fill in the plan. And he came, and he came and he opened a door to share the gospel way outside, beyond the scope of anything that we planned there. Um, God can open doors to share the gospel in, in ways, totally unexpected ways, beyond what we would, our ambitions would be. Um, the question for us is, are we praying for that? Are we praying for him to open doors? Uh, and are we willing to speak when we're given those doors? Um, you know, it, just because they covered the new, willing to cover it, doesn't mean that we had to go sing and perform. Yeah, you know, we had to be willing to speak too. And that's, or are we praying for God to open those doors? And are we willing to speak when he presents them to us? Will we recognize them when he, you know, when he brings them to us? I think that should be our prayers that, he would open those doors, but also that by his spirit, he'd make it plain to us when he has done so, so that we know to walk through them and to speak. Paul. Paul was, was certain that God worked and acted in response to the prayers of believers. Their prayers changed the world. People were rescued. Injustice was overturned. Hearts were turned in faith to God. We see this over and over again in, in the Acts of the Apostles and in Timothy's letters, or I mean, Paul's letters to Timothy and all these, these accounts of the early church. We see God at work. And he worked in response. He worked through people's prayers. And James, the book of James teaches us in chapter 5, that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. 
And James' point here is that Elijah was not special. He was an ordinary man with a nature just like yours and mine. He was heard because his prayer was prayed in faith in the goodness of God. Your prayers matter more than you can know or see. But you have the assurance from God's word that you pray to a loving God who has saved you in Christ Jesus and hears your prayers. And in prayer, you have, you have the privilege of joining in God's mission to save all people. And you have his promise from his word that your prayers change you and they change the world around you. So we praise God. Praise God who has gracious, graciously saved us, who meets us, and invites us to join in his redemptive work every day. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you that you love us, that you long to, to have us pray to you, to, to be in communion with you, to cry out to you. And that so much so you sent your son <clears throat> to forgive us our sins so that we can be saved, that we can be made new in our hearts so that our hearts love you and long for you and see your goodness. I pray that you would strengthen our faith in you so that we would not neglect prayer or forget it or doubt it, but we, our faith would be totally in your goodness and your goodness shown to us in your son Jesus so that we are confident that our prayers are heard for your sake and because of your love for us and that, and that you do change us and change the world and that as we pray with by faith in the gospel, we pray according to your will for your kingdom. It changes things. It changes us. It changes the world. And we pray that we would humble ourselves to, to pray in faith in you and in, your, in faith in your son, Jesus, our Savior, but also that we would devote ourselves to praying for your kingdom to come, for salvation to be shared and spread so that our community and the world around us may know your goodness in their lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.